Welcome to the Clever Chance podcast, where our experts discuss pressing issues and trends faced by the business world today. I am Viola Loy, a partner in the funds and investment management team of Clever Chance in Hong Kong. And I'm Ben Law, a senior associate in the funds and investment management team, also here in Hong Kong. This is the third episode of our Asia-Pacific Funds and Investment Management series of podcasts and the final episode of our mini-series on the Hong Kong Limited Partnership Fund regime. Yes, we started with an introduction to the Limited Partnership Fund Ordinance, and in our second episode, we spoke to Anthony Fay about the Unified Funds Tax Exemption. If you would like to recap, you can access previous episodes on the Clifford Chance website or on Apple Podcasts. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the regulatory aspects of the Hong Kong LPF regime. Before we do, though, we should mention a tax development, Ben. Absolutely. Um, Very shortly after we released our second episode, the Hong Kong government started consultation on a proposal for the carried interest tax exemption. In short, the proposed framework of the exemption is a little more complex than many had expected. For example, it is proposed that funds in respect of which the uh, carried interest tax exemption is claimed must first be validated by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Our expectation at the moment is that there will be substantial comments from the industry. Uh, Many of you may have actually already participated in that consultation. And because tax is very important to fund structuring, we will watch the consultation closely. Our topic today is regulation, specifically licensing. I think it is important that we discuss licensing because this is, to my mind, the most overlooked aspect of the Hong Kong LPF regime. I agree. Um, It is interesting that regulation, especially licensing, is very rarely discussed when people talk about the LPF regime. Regulation and licensing actually dictates, to my mind, how GPs will manage an LPF, and maybe even whether they can use an LPF at all. So it really is something that interested managers will want to look at closely. Exactly. And that is why I wanted to speak about the Hong Kong licensing regime and particularly how it applies in the LPF context today. For those who are not familiar with the financial services regulatory regime in Hong Kong, we wanted to give a brief overview of the ground rules before we look at how they apply to an LPF. The Securities and Futures Ordinance, the SFO, regulates the provision of securities-related services in Hong Kong. As in almost every other jurisdiction, the laws are detailed and complex. But also as in almost every other jurisdiction, the SFO contains universally used concepts. For example, the SFO regulates the provision of securities-related services. It does not regulate all securities-related services, but defines a number of so-called regulated activities. If you carry on business in one of those regulated activities, you must do one of two things. You either, one, become licensed to carry on that regulated activity, or two, you find an exemption from the licensing requirement. More specifically, when we discuss the regulatory aspects of the LPF regime, we are mainly talking about two of these regulated activities. First, the Type 9 regulated activity, which regulates the provision of asset management services. And second, the Type 4 regulated activity, which regulates securities advisory services. Very simply put, and to the extent relevant here, asset management is managing a portfolio of securities for another person. 
and advising on securities is giving advice on the merits, timing, or terms of a transaction in securities. In addition, the Type 1 regulated activity, which regulates dealing in securities, is also relevant and has become more important to private equity fund managers in Hong Kong. And we will touch on this later in this episode. And to translate that into the private fund context, a general partner or investment manager that makes investment decisions for a fund in Hong Kong would generally carry on business in the type 9 regulated activity of asset management. On the other hand, an investment advisor that only advises such a general partner or investment manager on investments, but does not make the final investment decision, would generally carry on business in the type 4 regulated activity of advising on securities. Marketing activities, taken by themselves, may be seen as carrying on a business in dealing in securities, which is the type 1 regulated activity. Correct. One further point we should make is that the SFO regulates not just the carrying on of a business in a regulated activity, but also holding oneself out as carrying on a business in a regulated activity and actively marketing services to the Hong Kong public in Hong Kong or from a place outside Hong Kong. In essence, what that means for GPs is that they cannot automatically assume that because they do not do a regulated activity in Hong Kong, they do not need to be licensed in Hong Kong. So let's apply this knowledge to the LPF regime specifically. The LPF ordinance requires that each LPF has a general partner and an investment manager who manages the affairs of the fund. The general partner can be a Hong Kong company, limited partnership or LPF. It can also be a non-Hong Kong entity, but only either one, a Hong Kong branch of a non-Hong Kong company, or two, a non-Hong Kong limited partnership with or without legal personality. By the way, somewhat confusingly, Hong Kong LPFs and non-Hong Kong limited partnerships without legal personality need to appoint an authorized representative in Hong Kong, but non-Hong Kong limited partnerships with legal personality do not have to do that. We have not been able to find out why this is so. It does not seem logical. If you are listening and you know why, please email us. But coming back to the management of an LPF though, there is another role that needs to be filled. There is. The second required element for the management of an LPF is an investment manager. The investment manager must carry out the day-to-day investment management functions of the fund. The general partner has a duty to appoint either itself or a third person as investment manager. In any case though, the investment manager must be a Hong Kong resident natural person, a Hong Kong company, or a Hong Kong branch of a non-Hong Kong company. So the point that we are making with this is that an LPF must have an element of its management here in Hong Kong. The logical starting point for any PE fund sponsor that sets up an LPF should therefore be that it needs a Type 9 licensed entity. But what if a private fund sponsor does not have a Type 9 license yet? Obtaining such a license can take a few months because you go through a process with the SFC and sometimes managers are keen to start their business as soon as possible and such a licensing process can feel like a hurdle. Viola, is there a way to structure the management of an LPF so that a licensing requirement does not arise? My view is that, generally speaking, an LPF should be managed by a Hong Kong Type 9 licensee. 
There are two ways in which you might try setting up in a way that does not require Type 9 license. But when you think through these options, it actually illustrates why involving a Type 9 licensee is the safer and probably generally better option. So these two structuring options are, one, shifting your management outside of Hong Kong, or two, undertaking your management in Hong Kong, but so that the business does not amount to a regulated activity. So for the first option, I suppose the most offshore structure that the LPF ordinance allows is a general partner that is a non-Hong Kong limited partnership with legal personality that appoints the Hong Kong branch of a company incorporated in, say, the Cayman Islands as investment manager. Uh, this, is, this is very difficult to follow, so I'll repeat this. A non-Hong Kong limited partnership with legal personality acts as general partner, and the Hong Kong branch office of a Cayman Islands company acts as investment manager. The business of these companies could be conducted outside of Hong Kong, as if we were following the type of offshore protocol that we now have for Cayman Island funds. And even if we have analysts work in Hong Kong for this structure, they will be employed by a local Hong Kong company that is wholly owned by the investment manager, and that advisor entity only gives advice to that investment manager, and therefore it could rely on the wholly owned re exemption from carrying on the Type 4 regulated activity. So overall, you wouldn't need a license. Would that work at all, Viola? I can certainly see the appeal of such a structure, but I think for a number of reasons, it will not work, or at least I would say that it is very risky. One, remember that holding oneself out to carry on a business in a regulated activity in Hong Kong, or actively marketing services that are a regulated activity from abroad, can also trigger licensing requirement. This structure runs the risk of the general partner or the investment manager holding themselves out or actively marketing the Type 9 regulated activity. Two, the SFC has over the last few years increasingly taken the view that the typical activities of private equity managers in Hong Kong require license. Although the SFC focused on the Type 1 regulated activity of dealing in securities, I expect at the moment that the SFC will take a similar view in relation to LPFs. Getting a Type 9 license helps in this regard because of the exemptions from the Type 1 regulated activity that Type 9 licensees benefit from. Three, finally, the structure defeats the purpose of setting up an LPF. The LPF, together with the unified funds tax exemption, is supposed to make it easier to have the GP's operations entirely in Hong Kong. If the operation of the fund is to a large extent offshore, a PE fund sponsor might as well use a traditional offshore structure. Right, um, so that means that the first option is really not that workable. But then your second option, that, that really aims at the types of assets that the fund may invest in, right? So because I could not think of an obvious exemption from the licensing requirements that a typical PE fund business could rely on, so for such a business to not require a license from the SFC, we instead need to look at whether we can limit the business to the types of assets that can be managed without triggering the licensing requirements in the first place. Yes, exactly. And so that is because the Type 9 regulated activity is managing a portfolio of securities and the Type 4 regulated activity is advising on securities. And if someone were to manage a portfolio of or advice with respect to assets that are not securities, 
then that person is not carrying on business in a regulated activity. And there's actually one notable exemption from the definition of securities uh, that is relevant to venture capital funds in Hong Kong, namely Hong Kong private companies. So if you set up a fund solely for investment in Hong Kong private companies, then the management of the fund's portfolio advising the fund on its investments is not a regulated activity. That is true, and that could work. Practically speaking, though, that would be quite a limited business. Even if that is not a concern, you may still run into licensing issues when marketing your fund or inviting investors to participate in co-investments. And that is where the SFC currently sees the need for PE houses to become licensed. That's a fair point. And good that you mentioned marketing and offering co-investments. Marketing a fund or offering co-investments in Hong Kong will often require a Type 1 license for dealing in securities. Having a Type 9 license does help with that though. It does. Not only can it be seen as a sign of quality and giving reassurance to investors, but also there is an incidental exemption for Type 9 licensed managers from the Type 1 regulated activity of dealing in securities, which I hinted at earlier that allows such managers to market their fund and co-investment opportunities, at least without licensing concerns in Hong Kong. Unlicensed manager must do their fund marketing in Hong Kong within the very narrow confines of another exemption from the Type 1 regulated activity, including, for example, engaging a Type 1 licensed chaperone. Of course, whether licensed or not, sponsors need to comply with the product offering regime in the SFO. So pulling all of this together, in terms of structuring LPF, we are really making the case here for a conservative structure. So for example, a Hong Kong special purpose vehicle acting as a general partner that appoints a Hong Kong Type 9 licensed investment manager. Having a licensed manager in Hong Kong means that investment decisions can be taken in Hong Kong, and that alone is of course an advantage. And a few additional benefits flow from that. So first of all, it becomes easier to benefit from the unified funds tax exemption. And then secondly, it probably will be a factor whether the carried interest tax exemption is obtainable. So that is not yet settled. And, and finally, marketing the fund in Hong Kong and offering co-investments in Hong Kong becomes easier from both a regulatory angle, but also because capital allocators and investors will see you as being more sophisticated. Absolutely. And ultimately, this is what the Hong Kong government wants. The LPF regime was established to encourage sponsors to set up regulated entities in Hong Kong, and it is designed to offer the benefits that you mentioned to such entities. So the initial entry cost may be higher than setting up an offshore fund, but if using an onshore vehicle and being able to keep the entire fund operations fully in Hong Kong is what a GP wants, becoming licensed in Hong Kong is the best solution. Even if a sponsor also wants to manage offshore funds, and there are still good reasons for wanting to set up offshore funds, it may be advisable to become licensed in Hong Kong if operations are here anyway. There is increased pressure on Hong Kong PE houses, including pressure from capital allocators, as you mentioned, to become licensed irrespective of the domicile of their funds. We have in fact seen increasing numbers of PE houses with offshore funds applying for SFC licenses in Hong Kong. So in conclusion, if you wanted to set up an LPF, you generally want to become licensed in Hong Kong if you are not licensed already. And even if you want to set up an offshore private equity fund, 
there is increasing pressure on you to become licensed in Hong Kong if you operate here. That's very interesting. Um, I think what you say is really important for fund sponsors to think about now if they're not yet licensed in Hong Kong. Before we come to the end of this episode, though, for completeness, we should mention the SFC circular to private equity firms seeking to be licensed, which was published on the 7th of January this year. People spoke about this very passionately when it came out at first. In our view, though, it does not say too much that we didn't already know, and also it is quite technical. That said, for those who are interested in becoming licensed in Hong Kong and using an LPF, a lot of the content of the circular is helpful technical knowledge, though. Yes, the circular effectively gives us a structure for the appointment of the investment manager of the LPF. What the SFC are saying in that is that, one, a general partner is generally required to be licensed for the Type 9 regulated activity if it conducts fund management business in Hong Kong, provided that the related fund management activities fall under the definition of asset management. This would usually be the case in an LPF. But two, that a general partner would not need to be licensed for the Type 9 regulated activity if it has fully delegated all of the asset management functions to another entity which is licensed or registered to carry on such regulated activity. The second point is not something that the SFO provides for explicitly and represents a change in the SFC's approach. So in the LPF context, what you would likely do is to use an SPV as the general partner and appoint a separate investment manager that is licensed. And that appointment must give the investment manager full investment discretion. You would not use a Type 9 licensed entity as a general partner, though, because that raises a number of commercial and regulatory issues. For example, that would mean that you have a general partner with significant personal liabilities and at least some employees in order to become licensed, which is not desirable generally for a general, uh, for a general partner. So naturally, the Type 9 licensed entity comes in as the investment manager. Correct. And the SFC went on to say in the circular that members of an investment committee who either individually or jointly play a dominant role in making investment decisions for the funds are required to be licensed as licensed representatives and, where appropriate, be approved as responsible officers. And that actually means that the investment committee will likely be a committee of the investment manager and voting members of the investment committee should be licensed for the type 9 regulated activity individually. They should also be accredited to the investment manager. Uh, that is important to plan for when applying for a Type 9 license. We alluded to that structure earlier without much comment, but it is in fact the SFC's circular earlier this year that makes this structure viable from a regulatory perspective. This is good to know. Um, I think we leave it at, now, uh, at that for now when it comes to the circular, but we are of course available to discuss LPF structures from a corporate and regulatory perspective with our listeners. And we will involve our tax colleague, Anthony Fay, who we spoke to in our last episode, whenever that would be helpful. We hope this episode has given you a better understanding of the financial services regulatory aspects of the LPF regime. As always, if you would like to discuss this topic with us in more detail, please do not hesitate to email us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast by visiting cliffordchance.com and follow us on LinkedIn.